This podcast was originally the audio for a work of the same name for the Nearly On Red YouTube channel, found at youtube.com slash c slash nearly on red. Though not intended to be a standalone podcast, viewers frequently consume my videos for their audio content only, so I have duplicated my work in this format to hopefully save people a step. A full list of content and platforms can be found at nearlyonred.com or the short link nearly.red, N-E-A-R-L-Y dot R-E-D. Enjoy! So one thing really stressed in this week's Bunny Girl Senpai episode is the power of being able to embrace rejection or being a social outsider, of not fearing which way the wind of consensus blows. I think I've said this before, but it is relevant now, so I'll repeat. Uh, but really earnest people, people who are genuine and honest about the things they care for or believe or like, um, earnest people are really easy to mock. They're really easy to laugh at, but they are also really easy to admire. Those seem like the complete opposite reactions, but just as love and hate can easily convert from one to another, Mockery and admiration can lie side by side because both of them are strong reactions to the same thing. Someone who is super into weird fashion or dances flamboyantly or has a really niche hobby they are passionate about, these kinds of people stick out and their enthusiasm might make you amused. It might make you reflexively reach for a witty comment. But even if you aren't into whatever it is they are, it's easy to admire their conviction their honesty about what they value. They behave outside what you consider the norm, but they freaking own it. And it's not unusual to feel a little bit envious of that kind of conviction. In our series already, back in episode three, there is a scene where Kunimi and Futaba are discussing Sakata's shouted confession. They ask if he is made of iron, saying that they could never do something like that. That kind of unabashed earnestness definitely elicited some laughter and some smirks at first, and Sakura definitely felt exposed out there. The potential for being a laughingstock was huge, and yet the very audacity of the act is what has changed public opinion toward him. The crowd turned from laughing to admiring. A certain disregard for what others think of you, strangely enough, can lead to them thinking better of you. Thus, during the confrontation on the train platform, Mawasawa makes a critical error. He never stood a chance against Sakata in public because he cares about public perception and Sakata does not. Mawasawa can hardly expect that someone smaller and less athletic than him would risk embarrassment by fighting back. I mean, he certainly hates to look uncool. It's the whole reason he started rumors about Tomoe in the first place devaluing her status to deal with the cognitive dissonance of her not wanting him. It's sour grapes in the form of slut-shaming. Gladly picking a fight with Sakata and throwing the first punch is in the same vein. He wants Sakata to look weak, because if he devalues both of them, then there is no sting to his own ego. But Sakata upends both halves of Maasawa's attack on them. By winning the fight and publicly embarrassing him, Sakata stops the attempt to make him look weak. By loudly proclaiming his own virginity, Sakata then upends the other half. 
No one can fathom someone lying about being a virgin, especially in front of everyone, and how embarrassing such an admission should be gives it such a weight of legitimacy that it has power. The honesty of it eradicates the falsehood of the rumors that it was started, and being caught so off guard and looking so uncool undermines him further. In a high school environment, where reading and fitting into one's place in the atmosphere matters so much to those caught in it, someone who can defy it without fearing the consequences wields real power. Sakata even brandishes this fear of ridicule against Kamisato, the girlfriend of Kunimi who wants Sakata to stop associating with her man. He asks her if she's on her period or constipated when she's picking a fight with him, and accusing her of embarrassing bodily functions makes her retract. He's committing the bigger social faux pas by asking such personal things, but because he doesn't care about that at all, it's a game of embarrassment chicken that she loses. This lack of fear in Sakata means that he is free to be completely honest. One of the big reasons why Mai trusts him, I think, is this honesty. It gives everything he says when he's being serious a certain extra gravitas. You know he isn't fake or doing things for anyone's approval, but rather because it's what he really wants to do or really believes. Tomoe is skeptical that someone famous like Mai would date Sakata, but it's exactly because Sakata doesn't care about that fame that he would be an attractive option to her. Like I supposed last time, Mai isn't really going to be upset at him for the misunderstanding with Tomoe, um, and she understands him well enough to know that this is all in character. But of course, she will certainly enjoy giving him grief. She even lampshades the fact that they both know this by saying punishing him would be a reward. So she'll punish him by not punishing him. They only really have two short conversations in this whole episode, but they are so at ease with one another, such a constant game of give and take, and it pleases them both. Tomoe isn't a threat to this, and Mai knows it. The other thing that's a pattern in this episode is characters displaying empathy. Sagata, of course, is empathetic to Tomoe and her situation, and is the whole reason he is agreeable to her admittedly unreasonable demands. He could see shades of his sister's crisis in what Tomoe was going through and the embarrassment at the idea of being alone. When this escalated into bullying this time, Sakata has a chance to act differently than he did during the crisis with his sister. You can see that he is weighing this choice in the conversation he has with Futaba. Putting himself way out there to stop the bullying that has started to form around Tomoe doesn't erase what happened to Kaede. But because of that, he understands how severely it could affect her. It makes his decision all but certain. Tomoe has her own display of empathy when they happen across her classmate, Yoniyama. Yoniyama actually starts to refuse their help, pointing out that Tomoe is in a different social circle. I guess it's odd for her to reach outside of her own clique, but Tomoe just sees someone who needs help. Maybe she would be different if her friend group was around, but she knows she doesn't have to keep up a front around Sakata, and they help locate the missing strap. More about how Tomoe acts around Sakata in just a bit. I first want to point out that Mai also gets in on this empathy action twice. Mai came to Sakata's apartment at the end of last episode because they needed to be on the same page, but she brought something with her as well. It's a gift for Kaede, an outfit from one of her shoots. 
She brings it because she thought that a little dressing up might help spark Kaede's interest in leaving the house. Maya knows that Kaede doesn't interact with anyone besides her brother, and she's perceptive enough to guess that Kaede might be jealous of the time that she and Sakata spend together. Thus, Mai is completely receptive to Kaede's request to call her by her first name and asks to do the same in return. This closes the gap between them, and presenting such a positive interaction with a stranger is yet another step towards helping Kaede move forward. Mai sees the situation that Kaede is in and doesn't pity her or ridicule her or ignore her or even try to come between her and Sakata. She has empathy with her and shows her kindness with no expectations of reciprocity. The other person Mai shows empathy towards is Tomoe. It's more than just going along with the misunderstanding. Speaking about the future date, Mai says she hopes that pretend doesn't turn into serious. Sakata fails to understand that she isn't talking about it becoming serious for him, but becoming serious for Tomoe. This girl is a potential romantic rival who has involved her de facto boyfriend in a romantic misunderstanding, and yet Mai is still thinking about the fallout for Tomoe if she forgets that it's all pretend. That is both empathy and some pretty extreme confidence in how you stand with Sakata. Mai knows firsthand that his genuineness is attractive, perhaps all the more so for someone like Tomoe who seems to lack a stable center of her own. Sakata is so very honest and unguarded with Tomoe during their time alone that she can't help but understand this about him. And I think over the course of this episode, we see why Mai had cause to worry. Tomoe is downright obsessed with presenting the right kind of front to her other so-called friends, who apparently ostracized her in a heartbeat when the rumors were going around. But she hasn't kept up any such front with Sakata confessing about her past and how she intentionally changed who she was to try to fit in. She even slips into her native accent around him repeatedly, a cue that she is letting her unguarded self out without thinking about it. So, when she asks how she is supposed to repay him, and he suggests that she be his friend, she knows the request is genuine. She didn't show him the curated version of herself, or worry over whether he was accepting her or not, and yet he made this request anyway. This would make him a far more genuine friend than the ones that she fusses over so much. You can see how that offer immediately evokes emotion from her, and if she didn't understand that she had started having feelings toward him, she definitely does in that moment. This is all but confirmed in the final seconds of the episode when Mai's ad plays across her phone, and for the first time, she is downcast over the situation between Mai and Sakata. So while it first seemed that keeping up the ruse would help free them from the time loop, it seems that more trouble is brewing. I said last time that it seemed pretty risky to lie to the atmosphere about them being a couple, because the atmosphere seems to have a bad habit of making things come true. While I don't think the atmosphere is causing Tomoe's heart to turn towards Sakata, because, I mean, his treatment of her is probably doing the job on its own, um, it does seem possible that the atmosphere could arm her with the means to try to make their pretend relationship into something actual. We may very well be setting up a different time loop in which Tomoe doesn't try to avoid being asked out, but tries to be asked out. Anyway, the only other thing to mention is the way Kunimi and Futaba are getting tiny drips of characterization throughout our episodes so far, um, and to a lesser extent, his girlfriend. 
Kunumi is portrayed as a decent sort in how he talks about Maesawa, um, especially that his impression is that he doesn't want to be a guy like that. Sakata is not one of the clueless main characters that dominate multiple girl high school animes, so it looks like his friend Kunumi is the one picking up the slack, as he neither notices Futaba's feelings nor notices how toxic his girlfriend may be. However, due to Sakata's complaint, Kunumi is promised to talk to his girlfriend about her behavior, while she herself referenced Futaba and pride after the nature of their relationship. It's just been an inch or two at a time, but I feel like the series is setting up a future arc right alongside this one, giving us breadcrumbs leading towards some clash of feelings and potential rejection in the people who are closest to Sakata. Title music by Russell J. Crowe, other music licensed from the artists at Audio Jungle. Script, performance, and editing by Theta. Theta is played by Redacted. Original video can be found at youtube.com slash C slash Nearly on Red. And a full list of credits is available at nearlyonred.com. Until next time, thanks for everything.